today on an all-new Dr. Phil. You may not realize it, but nearly one in 10 Americans is struggling with drug addiction. Are you one? Painkillers killed this hero cop's career. 2,000 pills a month. It's no way to live. Now, addiction could cost him everything he has. You could lose your family. I became addicted to the addiction, consumed with it. Dr. Phil helps a couple fight to save their relationship. He's a very high risk for relapse. Do you think he'll be able to do it this time? I want to end the cycle. It's not normal. This isn't about willpower. It is about psychological and medical management. Secrets to staying sober. There's a huge amount you can do that you haven't done. I want to look back and say we made it. Today, I want you to look closely at these two women because they could be you. They could be a loved one or your neighbor or the woman next to you in the line at the grocery store. One woman is on the verge of losing her home and both of these women say their marriages are on the rocks because they are living in constant fear and pain about what might happen. But it's not because of the economy. They both are living with a terrible secret that has come to define their marriages and families. Their husband, one, a well-respected police sergeant, the other, a successful therapist, lost their jobs because of chronic and debilitating addictions. Both have tried to shake it, both have repeatedly failed. These women say they are at their wit's end and can't go on. Their husbands are both men that have been trusted and respected by their families and the community, but now because of pills and alcohol, they are close to losing it all. These stories are for you because I think everyone can relate to them because addiction is something more than 20 million people deal with every day. If you are an addict or living with an addict or you are watching someone you know and care about self-destructing in this way, you need to watch today's show because we're gonna tell you the truth about why you must face the facts and attack drug and alcohol abuse early before it can cripple your life. We're gonna tell you how to recognize it, how it really works, what to expect in the struggle to overcome it how it affects family members and what you have to do to achieve and manage sobriety and have a real chance to win out over the addiction. This is gonna be a changing day in your life. I know things are tough out there, but we can do this. Here we go. I want you to get excited about your life. Four, three, let's do it. All right, thank you very much, thank you very much. Well, as you heard, today we're going to delve deep into the anatomy of addiction and give you the no-holes-barred truth about how hard it is to get and stay sober once you have become dependent. Now, I think people need to understand what addiction is to understand why it is so difficult to overcome. Now, between one-half and two-thirds of all patients treated for addiction will relapse. Now, that's just a fact. So today, we're gonna to examine this complex disease and help you detect the warning signs, perhaps in your own family. Now, Robin and Rigo have been married seven years. Robin says that six of the seven years have been hell because Rigo is addicted to painkillers. He was a sergeant 
on the police force in charge of keeping crime off the streets. And yet at home, he was taking up to 2,000 pills a month. That's 2,000 pills a month. That's a lot of pills. It is about 66 pills in just one day, if you can imagine. Now, Robin says she wonders how her husband is still alive. He's living with his sister right now because she says she couldn't live another day with his addiction. She says Rigo has relapsed at least five times. He's now seven weeks sober, and she wonders if it's for real this time. I had everything, beautiful wife, great kids, a fantastic job, and now it's gone. I don't think I could sink lower than I already have. I met my wife, Robin, at work. She was a dispatcher, and I was a police officer. In the beginning, our marriage was happy, fun, peaceful, rewarding. It started out very, very good. This is short after we were married. Rigo looks healthy, he looks good there. Our lives changed when Rigo started taking pain pills for a lower back problem that he had. I could have never predicted that a small little pill could take away so much. I herniated a disc in my back, so I was prescribed pain medication. At the height of my addiction, I was taking 40 to 70 tablets a day, 1,500 to 2,000 pills a month. We made an agreement that I could monitor his pills. Up here is where we kept them. There was like up to 400 pills. Within a week, over half of it's gone already. It was terrifying to me. Since rehab, he has relapsed four or five times. We agreed that I would be in charge of the pills that they prescribed him. We went to a box with a lock and a key. Because of my addiction, eventually I lost my job. This is where Rigo's career has ended up. Rigo received the Medal of Valor and within two months he had to resign. Being a police officer meant everything to me. Robin and I are currently separated. The separation is very difficult. I'm, I miss my family. Rigo's always smelled good. That was one thing I was always attracted to. So I've come in here and, and smelled his clothes. And it reminds me of him. It hurts because, you know, I shouldn't be smelling just clothes. You know, I want a, I want a person with them. Well, I'm here with just Robin right now because I wanted to speak to her candidly without her husband, Rigo, present. He's not hearing or seeing what we're talking about right now, although he's going to join us in a minute. You are at your wit's end here. Yeah. Tell me what you're thinking and feeling about this. He's seven weeks clean right now, as far as you know. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that, by the way? I, I do. This time I believe it, yes. Okay. All right. So where are you in all of this? I've come to a point where I feel like um, this is the end of the rope, so to speak, where I have to make some really critical choices for, for myself and my two children as to whether to go on living this type of life. You've actually become ill. I became addicted to the addiction too, you know, consumed with it. Do you want to know whether I think he's a high risk for relapse or a low risk for relapse? I mean, Yes, I would. I okay, would well, I would. right now, given what he's doing and given what he's not doing, I think he is a very high risk for relapse. I think the chance that he's going to come through this, doing what he's now doing, handling this the way he's handling it, you reacting the way you're reacting, I think the chance of him getting through this okay is very, very low. Now, that's the bad news. You want the good news? Yes, please. The good news is there are a lot of things that you could be doing, that he could be doing, 
that aren't being done right now which add up to a really good chance of managing this successfully. But he's not doing those things right now. I guarantee you for seven weeks, he's been white knuckled. He's just holding on because he doesn't want to lose everything. But that won't last long term. This isn't about willpower. It is about scientific, active, psychological, and medical management. And that's not happening right now, is it? Well, you know, I, I'm, we're separated, so I don't see everything that he's doing. I do know that he's reaching out for some, you know, some outpatient care. But A rational response would be, okay, buddy, if there are some verbs you can put in our sentences, if there are things he needs to be doing that he's not doing, that he should have been doing all along that he hadn't been doing, I want to know what they are so we can do them. I want our family to have a chance. That's what I would expect to hear if you were thinking clearly at this point. But you've kind of lost your compass, haven't you? Yes. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Rigo to join us. Uh, we're going to talk about how this addiction has ruined his life. We'll be right back. My husband lied to me several times and manipulated me. I had to have surgery and Regal was going through withdrawals at the time. He took my pills that I needed for my pain and left me to take care of me and my kids on my own. The experience has caused me to doubt his love for me. In May of 2008, Regal was forced to resign uh, from his job as a police sergeant because of his drug habit. Most recently in January, Robin says she became so frustrated with him, she asked him to move out of the house. They're now separated. He is seven weeks sober because he checked himself into a detox center. Robin wants to know if his sobriety will stick this time because she says if it doesn't, she's just gonna be forced to divorce him. Rigo, you're seven weeks clean, right? Yes. You haven't taken anything no. at all for seven weeks. How are you managing that? It's been a real struggle. Cravings are still there. Temptations are still there, and I'm too new in my recovery for temptation not to be a realistic thing. What do you think about the impact on your wife? I think it's drained her completely. It's more than she ever asked for or ever deserved. When I was talking with her earlier, I asked her if she wanted to know if I thought you were a high risk for relapse or if you were pretty safe. What do you think I told her? I think you probably told her I was a high risk for relapse. Yeah, I told her there's good news and bad news. The bad news is, I said, you are, I, I consider you to be very high risk uh, for relapse. I said, the good news is there are some things you aren't doing that you can do, that you can really get your hands around and, and, and turn this thing around. It's You're really close to losing everything. I've lost everything, and I, I could potentially lose more, and that's the, that's the worst part of the whole thing, is I've lost a lot, and I still have a lot to lose, and that's no way to live. It's... You could lose your marriage, you could lose your family. Tell me what you're really thinking right now. I want to end the cycle. I'm tired of, it's become normal in my home, and I, it's not normal. I just, just want, if it could, just in so we can move on and maybe look back and say we made it, we beat it. Do you love this man? <laughs> yes, I do. 
Are you willing to become part of the solution if he's willing to do everything that he can do to turn this around, or are you done? I mean, let's just be honest. If you're just done, if you don't have anything left to gamble, if it's like you can't take another heartbreak, you can't take another, uh, another relapse, another problem, then you need to say so. I can't take another relapse. I'm sorry. <sighs> you need to stick to it this time, please. Are you willing to help him make a run at this? Yes, I wanna, I wanna support him in a healthy way, the way that I need to. And you realize that means taking care of yourself. Do you think you're depressed? Yeah, I think I've, I've had bouts of it. <laughs> yeah. Is that a yes? That's a yes. Okay, and your health has started to erode. You've returned to some bad habits you haven't been messing with since high school. Yeah. So this is unraveling for you. It has, yes. And you have children? Yes, I have two. So you have to take care of yourself. Right. I want to add someone to this conversation. Um, Dr. Urschel is a psychiatrist. He's a founder and CEO of the Urschel Recovery Science Institute, chief medical strategist and co-founder of Inner Health, an addiction disease management company. Now, he is also author of a new book called Healing the Addicted Brain. And we're going to be talking about that as we go along. Dr. Urschel, thanks for being here today. Yes, thanks for uh, having me. You and I have talked and we've, we've shared a lot of common information about Rigo here. Uh, I've said with what he's doing now and what he's not doing now that I consider him a high risk for relapse. Would you concur with that? I would definitely concur. I think although there's a tremendous amount of hope and you can really beat this chronic illness that you have, you're not doing a tenth of what you need to be doing. You're doing what most people would do, but most people really don't know how to treat the illness effectively. This guy, in my opinion, is probably the number one addictionologist expert in this particular area uh, on the, in the globe. I, I wrote a book a, a year ago that had an addiction chapter in it, and this is the guy I reached out to to help me with that. This is the one that, that I relied on to make sure that everything cutting edge was there. He says you aren't doing a tenth of what you can do. How does that fit in your ear? <laughs> it's hard to hear. I, uh, I came here with an open mind, though, because I, I know I'm not doing everything I can. I just don't know what else I can do. Well, I don't... You're doing now what you've done before. Yes. Did it work before? No. You're living on an air mattress at your sister's house. That's... You've lost your job. You've lost your wife. You've lost your family. Doing what you've always done. And Dr. Urschel says to you, I say to you, I say to your wife, there's good news here. There's a huge amount you can do that you haven't done that can give you a different result. You should be doing cartwheels down the runway saying, are you kidding me? There's 90% more that I can do to preserve my marriage and my family and my health and my future. I would think that would be exciting instead of hard to hear. It's hard to hear that I'm not doing, that what I'm doing now isn't enough. I, I, I guess I, I'm putting forth the effort and how hard it's been for me to get to this point has been a lot of hard work. And for that not to be enough, I'm excited, don't you? I am excited that there's hope, that there's something else that I can so you do. You don't really need to do car wheels, but. I'm, I, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy that, I mean, it's this, good to hear that. This is my point, more. though. The, the, what you are doing is wearing you out. It is. 
And that's the whole point. This isn't about willpower. It will wear you out. You will fail doing what you're doing. Okay, so what should Rigo do? We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth. But when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. I have to think about relapse every day. I have to consider, what if I need to take pain medication again? How do I deal with that? I don't think about using in the sense that I want to use right now. I think about using in the sense that if I did, bad things would happen. Well, addiction is a chronic medical illness. I mean, there's no, there's no way to think about it other than that. You need to understand, this is a medical illness. It is one of the hardest diseases to manage uh, but by being educated, getting the right information, getting the right treatment, it can be successfully controlled. Now, Rigo is on the road to recovery. He says he's seven weeks sober from his addiction of as much as 2,000 pain pills a month. Now, Dr. Urschel uh, is with us today, and he is an expert in these matters. He's someone that I rely on for information when I'm putting together uh, things that I write about, things that I talk about. He is the author of Healing the Addicted Brain, which is in bookstores today. And let me tell you, he didn't even ask me to mention this book. He's just here to work and help. But this Healing the Addicted Brain is so very important because it, it kills a lot of myths and it is so action-oriented about what needs to happen that if this is in your life or somebody's life that you're dealing with, Trust me, it is a great investment in your future. Now, Dr. Urschel, I've said this isn't a matter of willpower because this is something where Rigo has, in fact, injured his brain. Yes, addiction is a chronic medical illness, just like you said. And so the, the use of the pain pills has injured certain parts of your brain over time. And so you have to address addiction from a medical standpoint and from a talking standpoint. And when you put the two together, your, your chances of success go up to about 90%. Okay, so here's what I want you to understand. These cravings that you have, this, this constant feel that you're having to push yourself back from and say no, that's not just a psychological phenomenon. It's not just a habitual phenomenon. This is a craving that comes from a very primary level of the brain, which is why I say you, the reason you failed in the past, if you, you have ignored that you have a brain injury that's associated with taking all of these pain pills. Now, let's talk about some medications that he could and should be on. Now, you were on Suboxone, correct? Yes. And you stopped it? Yes. He quit this drug. 
by you were on the one treatment that would have made a huge difference in your life. I was on Suboxone for well over a year. Uh, and I, I think what ended up happening is just, I mean, I became addicted to Suboxone. From a psychological standpoint, Suboxone was, was not good for me either. And, and when you say you're addicted to Suboxone, what do you mean? I, I couldn't stop taking it without going through withdrawal and having the anxiety. Well, why would you want to stop? You know, if you're, if you're taking insulin for diabetes, why would you want to stop your insulin? That would not make any sense to me. That's where the point of the show, there's a lot of misinformation out, even in the physician community, about medications for this, for this disease. And you were not on the Suboxone for withdrawal. It helped your withdrawal, but that was about five days. So the rest of the time you're on with Suboxone is to treat the illness and allow your brain to heal. Do, do you get what we're saying here? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> I, I have my concerns about it just because, you know, I did watch him go on Suboxone and after rehab, you know, I was in charge of some of the medication he was on and one of them it was Suboxone. He was craving more. He wanted, I need another one. I, want, I need another one. I mean, he was wanting. Okay, and let me talk about that. It, that's, that's why the, the I asked Dr. Urschel to fly here today so we could talk about this with you because when we look at your history, it's very layered. A another issue here, you have to deal with what is best described as, as comorbidity. There, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And th there are psychological issues that you have unfinished emotional business about. Uh, in, in the course of your career, you were involved in a fatal shooting. You say that you've never really dealt with that in a comprehensive way, true? Yes. Um, um, this can be very anxiety producing, even if it's not at a conscious level. Then we add to it that you've lost your job and your career and the shame and the embarrassment. All of these things that go on that create feelings of anxiety and depression, those things have to be dealt with while you're doing these other things. And I want, I want to help you with all of that. So what happened to Rigo on the job that has kept him from getting the help he needs? We're going to talk uh, about that and tell you the next step in the process when we come back. Coming this May, how does a bad father-daughter relationship affect your life now? I don't feel anything from him. We give you everything through your whole life. The anger. Can you honestly sit there and lie? What can this dad do to repair their broken bond? Why are you so angry? She doesn't love me at all. Your daughter is lost. It's time to stop waiting for the phone call and make one. I guess I'm just thinking, maybe if I'd have known this a year ago, a couple of years ago, you know, things would be a little different right now. He wanted to go off the box and he said, I'm tired of it, you know, and when he did wean himself off, I remember saying, maybe you shouldn't. But I think the other important issue here is you need to get educated. Yeah, you don't, a lot of the treatment may have been given to Rico, but it's not been given to you. That's why I wrote the book. Look to your immediate right. She's here. She's here. The question I ask her up front is, are you willing to become part of the solution? 
Now, I also want to introduce you to Dr. Frank Lawless. Now, Dr. Frank Lawless is chairman of our advisory board here. I've worked with him for over 30 years. Dr. Lawless, what kind of things do you think are, are most relevant to him in terms of handling the anxiety, de-stressing his body, and keeping himself calm without medication? So what we need to do is to help you with a skill set in terms of giving you ways of dealing with anxiety, with pain, with any kind of other things you're having to focus on because as the brain becomes ill, it limits your internal, what we call the endorphin system, in terms of dealing with anxiety and pain and depression. And, and there are specific skills here. We're talking about neurotherapy and biofeedback therapies. We're talking about uh, different kinds of, of stress management skills. And, and we, we need to help you with that because you're starting to unravel here. You've got to take care of yourself so you can take care of others, so you can take care of your children. And there's a wonderful program at the Betty Ford Clinic for kids. Talk about that a little bit, Doctor. It's a four-day program where they really understand the impact that addiction has on you all. They understand it's not their fault, and it works to help them not become addicts as they grow up, which is a huge issue, okay? And helps them, gives them resources to learn how to work through the depression or sadness that they may be experiencing as a consequence of the disease you have. Well, up next, we're gonna meet a therapist who drank his way to multiple DUIs and says he can't count how many times he's relapsed. His wife of only two years says she's had enough. Something has to change here. We'll talk to them when we come back. When Chuck drinks, he picks up a beer and doesn't stop until the binge ends. My daily consumption was three to four six-packs of beer per day. When I married Chuck, I knew he was an alcoholic, but he had been sober almost a year. I had no idea the severity of his addiction. Tomorrow on an all-new Dr. Phil. A mom who can't let go. Irons his boxers, tells him when to go to bed. And a son who can't say no. When you're 25 years old, you want your mother out of your boxers. All new tomorrow. Closed captioning provided by... like to purchase a tape or transcripts of your favorite Dr. Phil show, please log on to drphil.com or call 866-4-DR-PHIL. That's 866-437-7445. 866-437-7445. Well, if your loved one is an addict or if you suspect your teen is experimenting with alcohol or drugs, then you need to listen up because today we're talking about the anatomy of an addiction and how hard it is to stay sober, particularly when there is so much misinformation out there and just lack of information out there. Now, Janet has been married to Chuck for two years. She says she didn't realize what she was getting into when she said, I do. Now, Chuck is a therapist. He's not working in that capacity now due to his alcohol addiction. He's had so many DUIs and jail time that he just says he can't keep track of it. He claims his best friend of 24 years has been the bottle. But 90 days ago, he says he quit drinking. Janet wants to know if it will stick this time because she calls him a habitual relapser. And if it doesn't stick, she says divorce is in their future. Chuck has a severe addiction to alcohol and has for many years. 
When Chuck drinks, he picks up a beer and doesn't stop until the bench ends. My daily consumption was three to four six-packs of beer per day. When I married Chuck, I knew he was an alcoholic, but he had been sober almost a year. I had no idea the severity of his addiction. Being a therapist, I really have to, to separate my alcoholism from my role as a therapist. It's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I don't have the ability to stop it. Are you going to a meeting tonight? It's at 7.30, right? It surprises me how much he's relapsed in the past two years. I cannot say that one specific thing triggers me because I drank when I was happy, I drank when I was mad, I drank when I was depressed, I drank when I was celebrating. When Chuck drinks, he goes away for days at a time, binging. Staying drunk the entire time he's gone. Chuck has had multiple DUIs over the years, and he's been through rehab several times. Every time Chuck relapses, it tends to get worse. Chuck has lost two jobs since we've been married in two years because of his alcoholism. Chuck is not a nice drunk. He lashes out at me to hurt me, tells me I'm a horrible mother, tells me how fat I am. I think that if I relapse again, that I will definitely lose my marriage. One more relapse and it could be the last for him. Okay, um, you guys have been listening to what we were talking with Robin and Rigo about. You're 90 days sober at this point. Congratulations on that. That's no small accomplishment, obviously. Um, I'm pleased for you. You're worried that it's not going to stick. Absolutely. I'm worried. How about you? Um, yes, very worried. You're worried that it's not going to stick? Absolutely. Well, I know the more that I relapse, the harder it is when I come back to try to stay sober. I always ask the guests what their, if they got like one burning question that they want to be sure they get to, if nothing else happens, uh, what is it? Chuck, you said, I don't really have a question, but of course I'll take all the help that I can get. Um, you really don't have any questions? What I meant to say is I'm willing to do anything and, and you know, to stay sober. Let's just talk shop for a minute here. Um, one shrink to another. Do you think because of your profession and education and training that you pretty much know the basics about this? And um, Dr. Fowler, to be honest with you, I thought I did. But uh, I don't. When they first brought this story to me and said, you know, he's a therapist, I went, oh. <laughs> Not one of those. <laughs> um, and the reason I said that is because sometimes a, a therapist knows just enough to be dangerous. And when I get to something this specific, I call somebody that does nothing but this every day, all day, is vertically developed in this particular area. And Dr. Urschel is here for that reason. But you consider yourself high risk. Oh, yes, definitely, because in my past, I've been able to maintain, you know, a certain length of time. Um, yeah, it went three years one time, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, the meetings you're going to are AA meetings? Yes, AA. Uh, by the way, I'm a huge advocate uh, of AA, and I, I, I think it is a, a wonderful, wonderful program and support group. I, I think Al-Anon is important. You are an alcoholic, correct? No doubt about it. All right, um, and you're not an expert on alcoholism. I thought I was, but no, I'm not. I'm far okay. from it. All right, well, let's talk to the man who is an expert on this. Dr. Urschel, are there things that he can be doing that he is not doing? Let's, let's talk first about the, the cravings and what he could do medicinally in that regard. 
Right. Again, I think this is a chronic medical disease. We've talked about that several times. I want to make sure everybody understands. This is a chronic disease. This isn't going to go away, so you have to treat it as if it's not going away, just like diabetes or high blood pressure. You're in this. You both are in this, and your kids are in this for the long haul. All right, we have to take a break. Chuck says that he's been a drinker for over 20 years. He can't imagine his life without it because it's the life he knows. We're going to talk about what has to happen to change that uh, productively when we come back. DrPhil.com, brought to you in part by... 80% of us don't get enough calcium from food. Our bodies can steal it from our bones. Give yourself some TLC, Tender Loving Caltrate, and give TLC to somebody you love. Travel consideration provided by... Clinically proven Mederma lets you do something about your scar so you can move on with your life and leave your scar behind. Mederma. We do our shows in front of a live audience and we have a great time here, don't we, everybody? So if you want to be in the Dr. Phil audience, go to drphil.com and click on be in the audience or call 323-461-PHIL, 323-461-7445. We'll see you right here. You miss a lot of stuff on TV. The thought of me staying sober for the rest of my life is unthinkable to me. It's, it's unobtainable to me. That is such a long time, and I have been drinking, I think, 23 years. It seems impossible to be able to do so. Short periods of time, one day, sometimes hours, is what I need to do. I'm working today to try to educate people on the disease uh, of addiction. It is a complex disease. It is resistant to treatment. It is subject to relapse. It has to be managed like other chronic diseases. Now, I, I don't really think that people understand relapse. Uh, addicts don't suddenly start drinking and using again just out of the blue. If, if you live with an addict, you need to know what you're looking for, those subtle signs of danger in their behavior uh, that may cause relapse. And d d frankly, I, I know this isn't what anybody wants to hear. Janet, I know it's not what you want to hear. Robin. I know it's not what you want to hear, um, but relapse is part of the disease process. Uh, Janet has been married to Chuck for just two years. He's a therapist and an alcoholic. He says he knows what to do, uh, or at least thought he did, but had trouble executing it and sticking with it. Now, the longest he's been sober is three years, and that is no small accomplishment, by the way. I don't mean to to trivialize that. I don't mean to trivialize the 84 days that you're going now, but we want to turn that in to a lot longer period of time. Now, one of the things that w we have to talk about here is you say you know what your triggers are. What would be number one? Going to a place of, that sells alcohol, like such as a bar. So that's an easy one because you can stay out of those places, right? What, what are the emotional triggers? Um, I'm an alcoholic. I drink for everything. I mean, I, I, I tend to drink a lot more when I'm feeling guilty. Um, you agree? All of the um, above. But I also drink when I'm happy to try to make, you know, try to make it... Make it happier. Happier. Okay. Is Janet a trigger for you with anything that she does? No. Okay. Uh, Dr. Ursel, talk about the importance of identifying these triggers. 
The, the triggers basically are things in the environment or internally like depression and anxiety that set off the injured part of the brain. It sets off electrical impulses that come out and we experience them as cravings. And now the thing about cravings is an addict or an alcoholic understands if I have a craving, I have to use. It's such a compulsion to use. That's actually not true. The craving itself will go away if you just distract yourself within 15, 20 minutes. Okay. But at the time, again, people don't understand this, but that craving is, is a physiologically generated signal coming out of the deepest part of your brain that is driving you to use. So the triggers are things that activate the cravings. So you need to identify your top 20, top 25 triggers on a weekly basis because they'll change. The longer you stay sober, the less triggers you have in the environment, the less cravings you have. And then you stay away from those places to the extent that you can, and all of a sudden, you've just made it a lot easier. And it's those kind of duh, very easily doable things that if you combine those with the medication, psychiatric medications if indicated, really at 12-step programs, getting a sponsor, all that comes together, you can really have a great deal of success. Talk about the relapse contract that you think is so important. Okay, and that's where the alcoholic or addict sits down with their significant other. And the, the addict actually participates in figuring out, literally, each time you relapse, you need to be figuratively, not literally, but figuratively slammed to the floor. You need to feel pain from the relapse. One of the things enablers do is prevent the alcoholic from feeling the pain from a relapse. They get rid of the consequences of the relapse. So you need to come up with the top three things that will hurt if you relapse you're going to not come back to the house for three days, you can't see the kids, you have to go to three meetings a day and get signed, you know, signed by your sponsor that you were at those meetings and do several other things. After, if, after that, if you relapse again, maybe you're out of the house for a month. If you relapse again, maybe it's a formal separation the fourth time. So, but it, this is something you would write down on a piece of paper. You work on, you talk to, is it, what is going to hurt you the most? What are you, how are you going to feel the worst pain from a relapse, you agree this is what's going to happen, okay? And then this is in writing so that you two can't back out of the, you know, you can't give in because they'll manipulate you. Oh, I don't really want to do that. No, hey, here it is in writing. And all of a sudden, you now have severe, very painful consequences, and that pain is customized to you all. And this is important for your wives as well as it is for you because one of the things you get into is you're, you're suffering consequences over something you don't control. And so you start to feel helpless. Mm -hmm. And by sitting down and working out something between you, then she doesn't feel helpless. She doesn't feel that she's the victim in this. It's something that since it affects you both, then both of you deal with it. And there are so many things uh, that you're doing right, okay? Uh, and you know, I was teasing you before about being a, a therapist, one of those, but the truth is there are things you're doing right. You're doing individual counseling, which is very important. I assume that you've had a, a complete psychological evaluation yes. in that to look for depression and anxiety and all the different things that are there, which that's a very good thing. You're doing individual therapy. You're doing marital therapy. You're going to AA and attending the meetings. Everything that Dr. Lawless was talking about, which should be you know, right up your alley in terms of actually disciplining yourself to execute mastering some skills through biofeedback or neurotherapy, uh, relaxation training, those things that you know the, the value of. 
And I think for you, it's very important that you get involved in a real active program of exercise and wellness to return to health lifestyle-wise, whether it's running, you know, playing sports, lifting weights, those things can be so important as an outlook. So you start taking some pride in your body and your fitness, and these things over here would be counterproductive to those goals. I mean, I think all of that fits together and, and is important. Dr. Lawless, uh, how important is the exercise and this commitment to wellness? Well, actually, I hate to tell you this, but physical exercise is actually better for depression and anxiety than psychotherapy because it activates your internal uh, re restoration and it also creates a stronger mind in terms of its connections and it helps you breathe so that you can actually feel more uh, energy when you need it. We'll be right back. Listen, we all want to be healthy, so log on to DrPhil.com right now for even more information on today's show and learn how to stay in the best shape of your life. Well, today we've been talking about what to do once you have gotten uh, an acknowledgement that there is an addiction and then you're dealing with the relapse. But you've got to get to the point to get the person to stop their active addiction. Now here are some action steps to take if you think that your loved one is an addict. Number one, you need to choose to assist but not enable the person that you're trying to help and there's a big difference there. Use a structured intervention to lead the addict to the help that they need to begin recovery. Now to do that, you need to set your team. Get a group of concerned people, maybe family members, maybe others, who are not afraid to look the addict in the eye and tell them that they need help. You should confront factually, but with love, care, and concern. This isn't a big drama scene. Uh, it may be a good idea to bring a written list of data to help explain the consequences of the drugs that, or the alcohol that the addict is abusing. Be sure to remember, though, that you're talking to the drugs, not the person. If you've got somebody that is actively abusing, then I promise you they're in an altered state of awareness and you need to recognize that. The substances take over an addict, causing oftentimes paranoia, anger, and certainly a huge dose of denial. Get a commitment from the addict to go to treatment or be prepared to break contact. There has to be a consequence. Be ready to have and let the addict go if they refuse treatment. You have to be willing to do that. And you should have a firm, immediate plan that you can react to if and when they say, yes, I'll get help. Don't say, well, then let's start looking for something. Do that ahead of time. Look, addiction is a chronic disease that you just can't break on your own. I just promise you, this isn't about willpower. It's not about gutting up and saying, I'm gonna be tough and walk away from this. If you truly have an addiction, there are lots of layers that need to be dealt with and it's beyond a spouse or family member. Get the professional help. I want to thank my guests for sharing their stories with us today and a special thanks to Dr. Lawless for being here, Frank, thank you so much, and to Dr. Urschel. Uh, his book is Healing the Addicted Brain and you, you want to pick that up and read it. I, I promise you it is so action-oriented. Uh, as Rigo was saying, if he had known this a few years ago, how different his life would be. You read that book, you'll know it today. Thanks for being here. So long.
Look, addiction is a chronic disease that you just can't break on your own. I, I just promise you, this isn't about willpower. It's not about gutting up and saying, I'm gonna be tough and walk away from this. If you truly have an addiction, there are lots of layers that need to be dealt with and it's beyond a spouse or family member. Get the professional help. I wanna thank my guests for sharing their stories with us today and a special thanks to Dr. Lawless for being here. Frank, thank you so much. And to Dr. Urschel. Uh, his book is Healing the Addicted Brain, and you, you want to pick that up and read it. I, I promise you it is so action-oriented. Uh, as Rigo was saying, if he had known this a few years ago, how different his life would be. You read that book, you'll know it today. Thanks for being here. So long.